just one room with my arms stretched wide I will worship you so I throw up my hands and praise you again and again so Nothing else fit for 
Good morning, Southview. We are so glad that you've joined us to worship this morning through song, prayer, and preaching of the word. Here are your big three announcements for the day. Our missions ministry is having a fundraiser dinner and silent auction on March the 18th. This is an all-day thing, so you can have fried chicken for lunch and for dinner. Plates are $8 each. All you have to do is buy a ticket by texting the word ticket to 910-424-1298. Be sure to join us for our Easter weekend celebration. Everything kicks off at 7 p.m. on April the 7th for an awesome night of worship. Then on Saturday at 3 p.m. we have our picnic on the grounds. If you plan to attend or would like to serve, text the word PICNIC to 910-424-1298. On the same day, we'll also be having a barbecue competition. If you'd like to participate in that, you can text the letters BBQ to the same number, 910-424-1298. And then the weekend culminates in our worship service on Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11. You don't want to miss this opportunity to celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Last but not least, if you're interested in participating in this year's Vacation Bible School, happening the week of June 5th, simply text the letters VBS to 910-424-1298. There are many opportunities to participate in and prepare for this wonderful outreach event. There are also multiple ways for you to give here at Southview. You can give through the app or through the giving boxes located at the bottom of the stairs on both sides of the sanctuary as you exit. We encourage everyone to download the Southview Baptist app from iTunes or Google Play. This will allow you to see other announcements, to sign up for events, to find a journey group, to view previous sermons, or to access the notes for today's sermon. If you are a guest visiting with us today, we are so glad you're here, and we would love to connect with you. Help us to help you by texting the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298. This will help us to answer any questions you might have, uh, to begin to get to know who you are, to pray for you, and to see if there's any specific ways that we might be able to minister to you. Thank you again for worshiping with us. We pray that you are blessed by today's service. Amen. Good morning, church. How are you? I am super excited. Uh, Alistair Begg, who is a pastor uh, at Parkside Church, 
in Ohio. He said that um, one time he went to a church service, and as the service was starting, the worship uh, leader said, good morning, how do you feel? And he said, don't ask me how I feel. Ask me what I know. You know, and we know this. Christ is king, yes? Christ is able, yes. Christ has overcome. Christ is worthy of your everything. And that's why we sing. That's why we gather. That's why we worship through prayer and through singing and through the hearing of the spoken word, through encouraging one another. The point is that as we stand and as we celebrate these truths together, I don't want you to sing a song. I don't want you just to hear a guy talk about, you know, scripture. I want you to see Christ. And I want you to ponder on who he is, what he's done for you. And if you are in this room and you've never known Jesus Christ as your Savior, I pray today that he would turn your heart to him and he would draw us all closer. Stand with me. I'm going to pray and then we're going to celebrate. Lord Jesus, thank you for these truths. I thank you that the battle has already been won, the greatest battle of all. And for those that believe through you, we have a wonderful heritage grafted into the family of God. You call us co-heirs, saints. God, it's amazing your mercy and your love and your grace. And I pray that as we sing that we would see you in a way that we've never seen you before. Reveal yourself to us, Lord, I pray, and that we would worship you simply in spirit and in truth. In the name of Christ, we ask all these things. Amen. Let's celebrate.
before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us.
But Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, God, just for all this that you have accomplished. We thank you, Jesus, for your work in us. We thank you, Jesus, that you never leave us. We thank you, God, that you, you are the only one that we can seek, only one that we can pursue, and only one who can accomplish what you promise. Lord, today as we just set our hearts on you, we ask you, God, that you would be glorified as we open up your word, that you'll be made much of. We love you, Jesus. We need you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, if you have a Bible, let's find Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, if you're a guest with us today, so glad again to have you with us. My name is Brad. I am the pastor here at Southview, and it's wonderful to have you today worshiping the Lord together. Colossians chapter 1 uh, is where we'll be. As you're finding that, one quick thing by way of announcement, we've been talking about uh, a prayer walk on March 25th. Uh, that is going to have to be rescheduled. We had some things come up, uh, so we're going to need to work around a couple of things, and so we're in the process of thinking through that. But we will let you know what, when, where, all of that's going to happen. Uh, we definitely want to be praying. You know, the great thing about prayer walking, and I stole this from a buddy of mine. I didn't come up with it. He said, um, the important thing about prayer walking is it allows you to pray on site with insight. I thought, ooh, that's good. I'm going to steal that. You're praying on site. I mean, you can pray anywhere, right? You can pray right now for, you know, Bangladesh, right? You can pray for anything anywhere. But there's something about being on site, seeing, smelling, being around, right, that, that allows the Lord to show you things specifically to be praying for, praying on site with insight. That's the power of prayer walking. Uh, so we're going to be doing that, um, but we're just going to have to rework a couple of things. We'll let you know what that plan looks like as soon as possible. All right, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, so we're in a series in the book of Colossians. We're calling Jesus is greater than everything, right? Jesus is greater than everything. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how great the world may say that it is. Jesus is greater than everything. The point of Colossians is to show you that Jesus is colossal. He is huge. And as you see how great and glorious and amazing and beautiful and worthy Jesus is, that now changes your life. It makes you different. You think differently. You, you desire different things. As a result of all of that, you, you live differently. So that's what Colossians is all about. So our question that we're going to ask today is, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus really worth it? Uh, this is what the Apostle Paul is going to try to address here because he's writing to, again, a church um, in the city of Colossae, these Colossians. And here's the thing. Paul has never met these people. He's never been to the city of Colossae. He doesn't know any of them. If they passed one another on the street, they would not recognize one another. He has no personal, immediate connection with that church at all. Not only that, he is at the moment of writing this, 1,500 miles away in prison. He's got a lot going on in his life. He's looking at the potential of death staring him in the face, being executed for the great crime of preaching Jesus. But he takes time to concern himself with a bunch of Christians he has never met, will never meet this side of heaven, that live 
1,500 miles away from him. Why is he doing that? This is what the Colossians are wondering. Why does Paul care? Well, why does he care? What does he need this matter? What's he doing? Does he have a, 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 some kind of hidden agenda? Is he crazy? Like, what's going on? And so, the back part of Colossians 1 and the first few verses of Colossians 2, that's what we're going to get today, is the Apostle Paul kind of answering some of these questions of why he cares. And he's going to basically come down to this. I care about you because Jesus is worth it. It's not that you are worth it even though you're awesome. Jesus is worth it because I see Jesus is so worthy. I'm willing to do anything and everything for his glory. Uh, Last week, I shared with you one of my favorite parables in the Bible, Matthew 13, verse 44. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man, uh, like treasure buried in a field, hidden in a field. And a man finds it and then covers it up and then with great joy goes and sells all that he has and goes back and buys that field. And the idea behind the parable is supposed to be that the great treasure is Jesus. And that when you see how glorious and amazing amazing and beautiful and worthy Jesus is, you're willing to let go, joyfully let go, let go of anything this world can have for you. So you can just get more Jesus. And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at here in the book of Colossians. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? And there's the question that we're going to ask you today. Is Jesus worth it? Do you personally believe that Jesus is big enough and beautiful enough and glorious enough? Do you believe that he really is the greatest treasure in the universe? He is the greatest thing, the greatest you could ever possibly grab onto. And you're willing to completely change your life for him. Now, I'm not asking you what the correct answer is, all right? Because you're in church today, I think you're probably going to know the way we're going to go with this, right? You should not be sitting here going right now, I can't wait to find out. Like, I'm, I'm at the edge of my seat. My hope would be you kind of know where we're going here, all right? But here is the important question. Not that you know what the answer is, but in your life, do you live that? Do you live your life as if Jesus is the most glorious, amazing, worthy treasure in the universe? Uh, Specifically, as we go through this text, we're going to look at four things, all right? Four questions, I guess, we can kind of work through all right is jesus worth your suffering is jesus worth your service is jesus worth changing your life and is jesus worth your best energy Uh, so let's uh let's jump in together let's tackle the first one is jesus worth suffering let's go ahead and get the easy one out of the way right is jesus worth suffering so pick it up in verse 24 how should we view suffering And is Jesus worthy of us going through it? Colossians 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. So let's unpack this just for a moment. Look at that first line. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Circle that word rejoice. That's weird. That's strange. 
I mean, maybe you would expect the Bible to say, I am patient in my suffering. Okay, which is true. The Bible does teach that. Or, I'm trusting God in my suffering. Yes, indeed. The Bible would call you to that as well. But he uses a very specific word here. Now, I am rejoicing in my suffering. Who does that? Who rejoices in suffering? Why would you do that? Why would you characterize yourself as one who is rejoicing in your suffering? So uh, think about it like this. The only reason you would rejoice in suffering is if you believe what you get from that suffering is infinitely worthy. Does that make sense? Right? The reason that you're willing to go through this suffering is because what you believe you're going to get from the suffering is totally worth it. Right? It's worth going through the pain in order to get this. Make sense? Uh, the illustration that I've heard used often for this is uh, childbirth. Now, I have personally never given birth to a child. Um, I've watched Marie do it four times, and I'm not going to lie, it looks like that hurts. Right? Just no way around that. Does not look uh, uh, entertaining. And I think God choosing for men not to do that was one of his better ideas. I think he was having a good day. Having a good day on that one. Um, if guys did do that, the human population would be significantly lower. Right? Significantly lower. There, there would not be a lot of second kids. Right? Like, no way, man. That stuff hurts. I'm not doing that again. But think about childbirth. What would lead a woman... Okay, not even first child, all right? First child, you don't know, right? You have no idea. Let's talk second baby, right? You already did that, and you were like, I'm going to do that again. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Because you believe the baby that comes as a result of it is worth the momentary suffering that you would have to go through. Does that make sense? Right? Is it bad at first? Yes. Right? Yes, I still have the indentions in my hand from my wife squeezing it, right? Yeah, it's not great. But you believe what you get from it is worth going through it. This is the way he's speaking of you and I in Christ. Is suffering good? No. Is Paul being masochistic here? He's like, look for suffering? No. But you will go through suffering. And as you go through suffering, you want to go through it with your eyes set on what Jesus is going to form in you through it. Not just simply how bad, how quickly can I get out from underneath it. Does that make sense? You go through suffering with your eyes on Christ because you believe what he's going to form in me is infinitely worth going through this momentary light in comparison affliction. And look specifically at what he's wanting to have accomplished. Verse 24 again, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Look at this. For in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Well, what does that phrase mean? Paul is seeking to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So, so did Jesus not suffer enough? Is there something missing? Did Jesus, you know... The, the cup that needs to get filled up in order to bring about salvation? Did Jesus do it, you know, mostly, but then Paul had to come in and, like, fill in the gap? 
Well, the answer to the question is no. Right? When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he meant it. All right? All that needs to be done in order to purchase your salvation and bring you to salvation is complete and full in Jesus. All right? The point of this verse is not there's something missing in Christ's work for you to be saved. But what this does mean is this. Jesus did everything that needed to happen to purchase your salvation. However, also, there are things that need to happen in your life for that salvation to bear out fruit in you. Does that make sense? Like, through the work of Jesus, you're saved. And then that salvation working out. It's why Philippians 2 would say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean you make yourself saved? Of course not. Jesus does that. But as you're saved, there are things that Jesus wants to work in you. And... As you see all this together there in verse 24, there are things that Jesus desires to put in you that can only be accomplished through suffering. There are things that Jesus desires to put in you and put in me that can only come from us experiencing suffering. Why would God allow bad things to happen? Why would God let this happen? And, and, and I know that question floods a lot of our minds. And there's a big answer to it. But a part that I want you to see is this. There's a good thing in God's infinite wisdom that he's seeking to accomplish in you and I that can only be accomplished through suffering. And so my question for you and I is, do you think Jesus is worth that? Do you think Jesus, getting more of Jesus, Growing deeper in Jesus, having greater intimacy with Jesus, knowing more of Jesus. Is that worth you going through suffering? Is it worth it? I want you to see the answer to the question is yes. I want you to see it from this perspective. When you see that Jesus is worthy, you will go through. You don't like it. You don't want it. But you understand there's something Jesus wants to do in me in this. And I want him to do it. Because he's worth it. I'm willing to go through the pain and through the suffering so that I can get greater knowledge and intimacy and walk with Jesus. Jesus is worth it. Uh, Paul goes on, verse 25, kind of hitting that next question. Verse 25, is Jesus worth your service? Look at 25, talking about what he does for the church. Verse 25. This church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So let's unpack a couple of words there. Try to help understand the fullness of that verse. It says there, again, of which I became a minister. Some of your translations may say servant, and I think it's a better translation. The Greek word there is the same word we get eventually the word deacon from, which is a servant leader. So I think servant is a little better than minister, and it gets to the idea of what's going on here. Not minister, because a lot of times you see the word minister, you think guy with the mic. But that's not what he's after. He's saying every one of us are called by God to serve. So my question for you, are you a servant? Right? Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve. And if the teacher came to do this, so how much more will be us, his followers, seeking to do this? Jesus was a servant. He washed the dirty feet of his disciples, one of them being Judas, who he knew at the time was going to betray him. 
He serves. Do you serve? Do you see yourself as a servant? Is Jesus worthy of you giving your life to serve others for his glory? Maybe you don't get the name recognition, and you don't get the title, and you don't get the position, but is Jesus worthy of you just serving for his name's sake? Is he worthy of that? Again, take aside everything this world tries to throw at us, making a certain level and getting in a certain school and making a certain GPA and doing all things that aren't bad. They're great. If. Our greatest heart and our greatest desire isn't pursuing those things, but just being a servant of Jesus. I just serve Jesus. In whatever role, whatever capacity he would put me in for that, be it here, be it there, whatever, I just serve Jesus. And not only that, he kind of describes this service a little bit more there in 25, of which I became a minister servant, According to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So now look at the word stewardship. The word stewardship is significant. The word stewardship means someone, so again, servant idea. So the idea is there's a master, an owner. And this master owner goes to one of his servants And gives the servant the responsibility to oversee the master's, the owner's affairs. Right? The steward, the manager doesn't own this. It's not his. He doesn't get to do whatever he good and well pleased with it. He's going to be held responsible for it. It belongs to the owner and the steward is given responsibility to manage it well. And this is the way God is describing us. Here it is. You ready? You do not own any money. God owns your money. That money's not yours. It does not belong to you. I know if you have kids, you're like, trust me, I know it does not belong to me. That money is not yours. That money is God's. And God has allowed you to have some of his money in order to manage it well for his glory. And listen to me. There will come a day where he will balance the books. And he will determine whether or not you were a good steward of what he gave you or a poor steward of what he gave you. Your time does not belong to you. Your time is God's. He gave that to you for the express purpose of you using your time in a way that brings him the most glory. And there will come a day where he will judge how well you did with that. How did you use your time that he gave you for his glory? God gave you certain talents and abilities and spiritual gifts not for you to use on yourself or to further yourself, but for you to use for His glory, to manage and steward them well. And that one day you'll give an account back to the owner, back to the master, as to how you did with His talents that He gave you. It all belongs to Him. It all belongs to him. Are you using it for his glory? My money is not mine. My time is not mine. My talents and abilities are not mine. They are God's. God gave them to me. And God gave you yours to you. Varying things, varying levels. This is why the body is so important. But whatever God has given you to be the steward over, 
Do you steward it well, knowing this is not mine, it belongs to God? Every penny you spend, I want you to think. Again, think about a, a, a slave that's given charge over the master's money. Jesus gave parables of this in the Gospels. And the master comes back wanting an account of his money. When this servant is spending the master's money, he's thinking about every penny being spent because he knows I have a master who will give an account. This isn't my money to blow. This is his money. And what I do with it, I'm going to have to give an account for. Do you think about your finances that way? Do you think about your time that way? Do you think about your talents and abilities and giftings in that way? God has given them to you as his servant to steward them well. Do it for his glory. Do it for his glory. And in thinking through this, it comes to the next question that he has for us. In verses 26 and 27, is Jesus worth changing your life? So look at verse 26. Again, talking about this ministry that he has. He says in verse 26, this ministry is the, mis- the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he uses the word mystery there. So in the Bible, and, and you see it laid out there in verse 26, a, a, a mystery is something that was hidden previously, specifically Old Testament, Old Covenant, but now revealed and made clear in the New Testament, the New Covenant. Specifically here, he's talking about the mystery of the Gentiles being now a part of the faith family, just like the Jews. Now this is a mystery. How are these Pagan Gentiles somehow coming to faith in Christ and now being grafted in the same uh, uh, faith family tree as the Jewish people. How does that work? It's a mystery. And here's the way the Apostle Paul describes it. Look at the last part of verse 27. This is so cool. Look at how the Bible describes salvation. 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Salvation, according to the Bible, is not just you believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and prayed a prayer asking Jesus into your heart. I mean, that's, that's, that's fantastic. But, but what's actually happening there, the Bible's going to say is much deeper. The Bible says that, that becoming a Christian means Christ is now in you. Jesus Christ. The God of the universe, creator, sustainer, ruler over all creation. Through faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus now literally lives in you. And you can see why they would use the term saying, this is a mystery. How does that happen? I don't know. But it does. And the point of what he's trying to get at is this. When Jesus lives inside of you, you're different. And the point is these Colossians, are, are they, they, Christ is now living in them, so they live so differently in the world that people around them who knew them before Christ and now after Christ are talking to each other saying, so what is up with that guy? He's different. He thinks differently, he acts differently, he responds differently, he forgives differently, he uses his money differently. Like, he's just different. He doesn't do any of the stuff he used to do. 
Like, what is up with this? And the other guy says, I don't know. It's a mystery. You're supposed to live your life in such a way that the lost world looks at it and thinks, that's mysterious, that's strange. How are you so different? And the answer is, it's Christ in me. And because Christ is in me, because you see how worthy and beautiful and glorious Jesus is, you now say, he's worth me changing my entire life over. He's worth me giving him my whole life and turning my back on everything I once thought was good and right. I'm going straight to him and only to him because he's worthy of it. So I think about it like this. When I was in college, um, I had what some ladies may refer to as a um, fear of commitment. Um, I, uh, true story, I actually broke up with one girl just so I can go watch a football game. Um, but in my defense, it was the Clemson-South Carolina game, so she had it coming. Um, she was like, I want to hang out. Like, I, I want to go to the game, but I really want to hang out. You know, this isn't working for me. I just, I, I think we should see other people. And, and by that, I mean I should go watch this game. So, however, there was a day where I walked into the registrar's office, and there was this really cute brunette sitting behind the desk. And don't worry, it was Marie. This isn't going to get weird. Um, and... And I, and I started talking to her. I had a 10-minute conversation, max, 10 minutes. And that 10-minute conversation so changed me. I, no, there's documented evidence, all right? I walked out of that building, ran into someone. They said, what you been up to today? I said, I just met the girl I'm going to marry. Like, really? Yep, just met the girl I'm going to marry. Now, it took her a little while to catch up, all right? But for me, I was all in. And the idea is this. Previously, I found nothing worth me giving my life up for. I mean, you know, we'll hang out, we'll have a good time, we'll have fun. But if it starts to like impede on anything that I really want to do, have a nice day. But there came a time where I met someone different. And now, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to do those things. And I... I wanted, I wanted different. I wanted to leave all of that behind and just be with her. And this is the way the Bible is trying to get at salvation. The point of salvation, the point of Christianity, is not that just that you believe some things about Jesus and you pray a prayer to Jesus and now you get to go to heaven when you die. The point of Christianity is you've come to see how glorious and amazing and worthy Jesus is. So with joy, Matthew 13, you gladly turn away from everything in this world and you go get him. That's the idea. Is Jesus really worth you changing your life for? That's the question you got to ask. Is he really worth it? Maybe for you right now, you'll say the answer to that question is no. And that's okay. For right now, we're praying for you that you'll see that he is. But in order for you to really live out the Christian life the way that God desires you to, it's not just that you attend church or try to be a better person. It's that you see Jesus as the most glorious treasure in the universe. And so you gladly turn away from everything and change your life totally for him because he is worth it. He's worth it. Then 
last one I want us to see, verse 28. Is Jesus worth your best energy? Look at verse 28. Him, that's Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The Apostle Paul was so gripped by Jesus, so in love with Jesus, so he treasured Jesus so much. What does he say there? He was willing to expend every ounce of energy God could give him in order to see Jesus Christ formed in a group of people he's never even met. Every ounce, I, I struggle, I toil with every ounce of energy he will give me so that I can proclaim him and testify to him and push you to him because he's worthy. So my question for you is, is Jesus really worthy of you expending every ounce of energy for him? Is he worthy of that for you? What do you spend your time doing? What do you spend your energy doing? Right now, just think about your life. What does the bulk of your energy get devoted to? Is it Christ? Or is it things of this world that will fade? And I, and I know the pushback to this is, um, well, I mean, I got to work, Pastor. Or I'm a stay-at-home mom and these little incubators aren't going to feed themselves. I got I to gotta take care of the kids. I got to go to work. I got to. Yes, absolutely. But the point is, when we see the world differently, when we see the world from a biblical perspective, it's you go to work, you stay at home with the kids, seeing this is the way that God has placed me in order for me to see Christ formed in these people, whether it be your kids, your coworkers, your friends at school, people in your neighborhood. God has placed you where he's placed you by design and on purpose. And you keep doing the same things. You keep going to work and you keep home, uh, uh, homeschooling your kids and you keep playing the community softball league. You keep doing those things. But now you view them differently. They're not just things you do. They're not just things that you enjoy. They're things you are using and leveraging to see Christ formed in the people that he has put around you. You will, ne- you will never experience the fullness of all God has for you in him until you seek to see Jesus formed in other people. Do you seek to see Jesus formed in other people? Not just you. Not just you. We spend so much time on our personal walk with the Lord, which is right and good, and amen. But there's a level of maturity in Christ that you and I will never meet unless we seek to devote ourselves and invest energy in seeing Jesus formed in other people as well. Right? This is what Paul was saying. Look, I'm given every ounce of energy that God could give me so that I can see Christ formed in you. That's the idea. And, and then look at chapter 2. So what's going on here? Look again at chapter 2. So he's kind of coming off this idea, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea 
and for all who have not seen me face to face. Think about that. The Apostle Paul, he's saying, I want you to know how hard I'm working for you. I want you to know how great a struggle I'm having. The word great is megas. It's where we get mega, right? Huge. Struggle. That's a striving, a fighting, a toiling. He said, I want you to know the mega fight I am fighting on your behalf. Why would he say that? Is he saying that so he can get a pat on the back? Is he saying that so they'll send him money? Why is he doing that? Well, why do you and I do it? Why? So with your kids, have you ever had the conversation with your kids? Um, you need to understand how much we're sacrificing for you. Right? You just need to understand what we're doing for you. Right? Why are you saying that? So they look at you and go, you're the greatest parents on earth. Be nice, but it's probably not going to happen. You say that because you want them to begin to grasp and understand I'm making sacrifices, and I'm freely and willingly doing it. But I'm doing it because I want to see something greater happen in you. And this is what Paul is saying to his people there in Colossae. Like, I want you to know how much I'm fighting for you. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. He's worth me fighting. He's worth me going to jail. He's worth me grinding day in and day out to see Jesus formed in other people. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. And then verses 2 and 3 kind of accentuate an exclamation point the worth of Jesus in all of this. Look at verse 2. He's working so that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's saying, look, the reason I'm doing this is because Jesus is worthy. Not only is he the treasure, he's the place where every other treasure is going to be found. It's just Jesus. And I'm working to see him made much of. And you reach up to the heights in him. And your hearts be knit together so that together you can all reach up to him. I want to see Christ formed in you. This is the point. This is the whole point. And then look at verse 4. And here's why it matters. Here's why Paul is pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Look at verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Think about that. I say this so that in order that no one may delude you, deceive you, trick you with what? Plausible arguments. Here's why Paul is pushing so hard on this. Here's why he's pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. This is why I'm willing to suffer. This is why I'm serving you with all that I have. This is why my life has been changed and I'm, 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 I'm calling for you to have your life changed as well. This is why I'm using every ounce of energy God can give me because Jesus is worth it. And... If I don't push hard on this, you very easily are going to be tricked by plausible arguments. What's a plausible argument? A plausible argument is something where you look at it and go, I don't know, that makes sense. That makes sense. Right? It's, 
yes, Jesus is worthy and he's the greatest treasure, yes. But I mean, it makes sense that I also have to do this though, right? I mean, it, it makes sense that this also has to be my focus. I mean, it makes sense that that's right for you, but, but my situation is different. I mean, that makes sense, right? I mean, you don't know what I'm walking through right now. So, I mean, I hear what you're saying, Pastor, about, you know, Jesus, it's all about Jesus. But, I mean, I got things that I'm having to figure out and work through. So, I mean, that, that makes sense, right? It's a plausible argument. My great fear for everyone in this room right now is that you and I will be led astray by plausible arguments. I don't think anybody in this room is going to be tempted by Satan to leave this service today, get high on black tar heroin, and knock over the 7-Eleven next door. Right? I don't think that's going to happen. I'm gonna, now, if it does, call me, all right? Because I want to hear that story. I don't think that's going to happen. That's not what's going to deceive you. What's going to deceive us much more subtle, plausible arguments. Things that make sense in our own minds. Things that make us feel right in our hearts. It's a plausible argument. I mean, that, you can understand that, right? The pastor, that makes sense, right? What the Apostle Paul is seeking to do with his people here in Colossians is to help them have as a bedrock foundation for their life that Jesus is the greatest treasure and he's worth everything. And do not be led astray by any plausible arguments. Do not let anything mislead you. Trust in Jesus. I'm going to ask our band to come up and, and, and I'm going to ask if you just bow your heads for me just for a moment. Uh, we're going to end here in a moment worshiping together, but before we do that, I want to give you time to pray. Um... Here's my question. Is Jesus worth it? In your heart, in your mind, in your life, on a practical day in and day out, how you just orient your life, your finances, your time, is Jesus worth it? I want you to see today that the answer is yes. I want you to take some time here this morning and to ask the Lord to show you any plausible arguments that have started to trick you and delude you. And I want you to ask today Jesus to show you how worthy and glorious and amazing he is. Jesus, this is our desire. This is our heart. This is what we long for. I ask you, Lord, today, show us. Show us the areas in our life where we are being led astray by arguments that make sense. I pray, Lord, that you would replace that with truth. As Pastor Scott said earlier, that we would not be led by how we feel, but what we know. And we know that Jesus is worthy. I pray, God, that you would show us today how worthy you are, Jesus. Do this in us.
if today you would you would confess that you you're not a follower of Christ like that I want to encourage you today can be that day I want you to see that Jesus is worthy he is the God of this universe he created you and you sinned against him but he came to earth and he died on the cross for your sin so that you can be forgiven and made new in him he is worthy he is glorious he is amazing he is worth it today I want to encourage you just simply pray Jesus I know that you are God and I know I've sinned against you I know you died to set me free Jesus I give my life to you you're worthy change me and make me new I'm yours for those of you who are followers of Christ you live your life showing that you believe Jesus is really worthy, that he's really the greatest treasure, that Jesus really is colossal in your life. He is your everything. Does your life show that? The way you do your money, the way you do your time, the way you use your talents and resources and treasures and gifts, is, is it showing that you believe Jesus is the greatest treasure and your entire life is devoted just to him? there are areas in your life where that not, may not be true, I want to encourage you today, surrender that to the Lord. Submit that to Him. Confess and repent whatever it is you need to confess and repent of. Today, set your heart to see Jesus as your greatest treasure. Devote your life to Him. Jesus, do this in us. Do this in us for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. to encourage you just um, worship God how he leads you today whether that's standing and, and worshiping through song through singing with us maybe he's calling you to come here and pray to the altar maybe he's calling you to find a brother or a sister and pray maybe he calls you simply to sit there and reflect church let us not ever do things because we do them you know don't stand because we always stand I just want you to worship Ponder what Pastor Brad has laid out and what Christ calls you to as we grow in Him.
Amen. Amen. Have a seat for me if you if you will. I'm going to ask Marie and John and Jennifer if you guys can come on up for me. So um, myself and my wife Marie and John and Jennifer Crownheart, um, we are heading out this week to Bolivia, uh, South America, not North Carolina. And um, heading down, uh, been asked to go down and help train some pastors and church leaders uh, in South America and uh, asked the Crown Hearts if they would join us on the trip. And so I want to take just a second to ask you to pray for us as we go and then pray for us uh, here right now. But then also, I, I bring us up here. I mean, we could have just gone and come back and no one been the wiser. But, but I do this also for you. I want to encourage you. Like What we just walked through in Colossians, I want you to understand being willing to... to um, to sacrifice your time and your money and your resources in stepping out of your comfort zone to go seek to advance the gospel with a bunch of people you, you don't know and will never see again after that. I want you to understand that that's not just something we say. We're seeking to really actually put feet to that and live that. And I want you to do the same thing. I want you to actually do this. This isn't just something that we talk about and we go, that's right, that was a good sermon. You stepped on my toes today, Pastor. I want us to actually live this. Right? Let's put some feet to it. So um, I'm going to pray for us. I encourage you to pray for us. Um, you know, a couple of things to pray for. One, obviously pray for safety as we travel. Um, pray for a family we're going to leave behind. Our kids are going to be uh, here. Uh, so pray for them. Pray for grandparents who are going to be in charge of them, that they would survive as well. Um, and uh, pray while we're down there, pray that God would give us fruits for ministry, that we'll see um, just God really be glorified and fruit, okay? So, so if you could pray for us, I'm going to pray for us. God can hear us all at the same time. Uh, so let's just pray together, and if you could lift us up, I would appreciate it. So God, I just thank you. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. I thank you, God, and I trust you for this. I pray, Lord, again, we do pray for safety in all things, and we ask that you'll go before us, and we trust you for that. Um, but Lord, we pray, God, for our families here, God, that you'll watch over them. Uh, and I pray, God, as we go, that you'll just bring much fruit. I pray, God, that we would see uh, a harvest of your kingdom. Uh, and I pray, God, for Southview here. God, that this would be, again, one more opportunity for us to see this matters. And we're called to this. And we want to live this. I pray, God, that you would raise up people inside this church that will step out, whether to go overseas or right here where we live, that they would live this out in their neighborhood and in their school and where they work. We would seek to see disciples made for your glory, fulfilling the Great Commission everywhere, right here and around the world. We trust you for this. We thank you for this. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Thank you for your prayers. See you next Sunday.
Treasure. 